Hallelujah. Thank you. That song was written by Gabby. Lord, you do reign in majesty. It's all about you from beginning to end. Lord, you reign in our lives and you reign in our hearts. And you reign in this place today. Come and reign upon us now with your word to nourish us, to wash us, to bless us. Thank you, God. Come now, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Well, I am delighted to share with you this morning the word of the Lord. My name is Pastor Jim Olson. I have the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor here at Bethel. And, um, yeah, this morning we are coming to the end of a journey that has taken us through the book of Ephesians. And as we come to the close, and I want you to, if you would, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. And as you're finding your way there, I want to tell you a story to bring us into our conversation here this morning. This is a true story about a very uh, great church planter who was used powerfully by God to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a part of the world that up to that point had not really been impacted by the gospel. In the uh, course of his travels and his ministry, he encountered both tremendous success and tremendous opposition. He was a gifted evangelist, and he was also used by God quite regularly in the area of healing and deliverance. He could be both comforting and encouraging as well as quite confrontational at times. Towards the latter part of his ministry, God led this man to one of the most important cities of his day. It was a great port city, and its natural harbor and great climate for agriculture had turned it into a real center for international trade. In this city, there was a huge outdoor stadium capable of holding 50,000 people where a variety of speaking and cultural events were held. It was also home of one of the largest religious structures in the world, which served as a world-class museum and art gallery. It was so large and so well-known that a significant portion of the economy of the city was directly tied to this religious center. Now, this church planter spent almost two years in the city planting the seeds of the gospel, and his ministry was both effective and controversial. His first three months, he worked through one of the local religious organizations, but eventually he had some pretty serious disagreements with them, so he took a small group of new believers who had been converted and um, formed them uh, into a congregation in a local lecture hall where he continued to hold meetings, teaching and preaching. Now that's when things got really interesting. First, there was a number of extraordinary miracles which took place. There were marvelous healings, dramatic deliverances from demonic influence. One time, and this really became the talk of the town, there were seven um, one time, uh, there, were, there was these seven brothers whose dad was a religious leader in the community, and they tried to copy what this church planter was doing. One day, they were trying to free a man from demonic influence, but they didn't really believe in Jesus. Boy, did they end up in trouble. <laughs> the man who was demon-possessed jumped on them all, overpowered them, and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Well, as you can imagine, once this account of events got around to the city, people started taking their own spiritual condition a lot more seriously, and a great many surrendered their life to Jesus. Well, 
a lot of those who did were people who had been involved in the occult in a variety of ways. They were so challenged by the message of Jesus that when they accepted that message, their life was so transformed that they all came together and burned all of their occult books and other paraphernalia. Well, that is what really triggered the controversy, which eventually turned into a full-blown riot. You see, that huge religious center, which had made the city famous, was an occult religious center. And a large amount of the small businesses in the city provided different items that were on sale in the huge gift shop located in the center. What was happening was that as people were turning to Jesus, they were turning away from the occult, and the sales for those items in the religious center began to drop precipitously. Eventually, things got so bad that one of the spokesmen for the local business owners called them all together and said, guys, we have got trouble here. You can see what's happening. This church thing, it's growing. The message is getting out everywhere. They're speaking out against what we do, and our very livelihood is being threatened. And so they got so pumped up and so furious that they began running and shouting through the streets of the city and gathered a huge crowd in the stadium. The church planting pastor wanted to try to talk to them, but his friends wouldn't let him because they were afraid there would be violence. Well, for hours, the crowd stood and shouted, confused and out of control. Finally, the city clerk came into the stadium and quieted them down. He explained the legalities to them, told them that if they had a specific accusation, they could go through the proper legal channels, but if they didn't break it up and go home, they might be charged with rioting. Well, after the uproar finally ended, and things had settled down, the church planting pastor called the church together and told them that it was time for him to move on to the next city. And he encouraged them strongly, for by that time the church in the city had been firmly established, and though he intended to visit them again, he was never able to, though he wrote a very powerful letter to them, the very letter that we've been studying now for these past few months. As you have figured out by now, I'm talking about the church planter, the Apostle Paul, the city Ephesus, the occult religious center, the temple of Artemis. And all of these events that I just shared for you are recorded in this book, the Bible, in Acts chapter 19. And I wanted to remind you of that backdrop as we stepped into the final word in our study of the book of Ephesians, out of Ephesians chapter 6. And now you are hopefully there. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers, against the authorities of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, 
Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. What's the first word there in verse 10? What does it mean? What is that word? What is the word? What is the word? Finally. Finally. Now that could mean a couple of things. It could mean, here's the final thing that I want to tell you in my letter to you. But actually there's probably, our, our English doesn't quite get it so well here. Because he, what it really means here is not, I'm just bringing my, my book to an end here. This isn't the pastor preaching and saying, now finally, what he's really saying here is henceforth. What he means is from this moment forward, henceforth, from now and forever, for, for time going forward, I want to tell you this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, why does he tell us this? Well, he tells us this because there are two kingdoms that are in conflict with one another. The first kingdom is this present kingdom, which is described for us back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That present kingdom began with the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Actually, even the, the roots and seeds of that when Satan fell and was kicked out of heaven, that is the beginning, that is this present kingdom. The kingdom to come came into being in Jesus' first coming. As it says in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verses 25 to 28, Matthew 12, 25 to 28, Jesus knew their thoughts and said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out, so then will they be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. When Jesus first came to earth, in His incarnation, He inaugurated the kingdom to come. This kingdom will go on forever. It says in Revelation, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Jesus Christ, and He will reign and rule how long? How long? Forever. How long? Forever. Forever. When he comes again, the second coming will mark the ending of this present kingdom. This present kingdom will come to an end. We live in the in-between. We live in the midst of the struggle between these two kingdoms that are in conflict with one another. Do not be ignorant of this, brothers and sisters. There is a struggle between two kingdoms. And the church, we live 
Our brothers and sisters around the world, some of them living, as we prayed about this morning, in conditions and circumstances where this is very real, live in the tension between D-Day and V-Day. If you think of World War II, the war, World War II was effectively over on D-Day, but it didn't end until V-Day happened, and in between D-Day and V-Day, more men and women lost their life than at any other point in the war. The war has been won. The battle has, but, but the battles continue until Jesus comes again. And he has come. So in the meantime, henceforth, as you live out in the in-between place, henceforth, from here and now, here is what I want you to do. I want you to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So he begins with this incredible encouragement to the Ephesians. Remember, he begins Ephesians 1 to 3, giving this grand vision of the kingdom of God. In chapters 4 to 6, he unfolds what that looks like in practical life. And Pastor Sam and Sarah did a fabulous job last week talking about new relationships. I would get the CD or listen to it outline if you haven't listened to it yet. Encouraging, encouraging word. But now here as he completes his text of his letter, he once again goes back to the cosmic vision of what's happening in these kingdoms in conflict. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What he's really saying here is strengthen yourself in the Lord. Do you remember David at Ziklag in the Old Testament in Samuel? It talks about where David, and he came back and all kinds of havoc had come forth. And everybody, all of his leaders were ready to take him on and stone him and get rid of him and all of that. And it says there that David strengthened himself in the Lord. There are times when havoc, when difficulties and challenges will be upon you and in your family and in your situation and your circumstance. And the word of the Lord this morning is, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Strengthen yourself in the Lord this morning. Strengthen yourself in his mighty power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is resident in you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Two or three people heard me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is present in you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. So whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in, but God, because there is no God like Jehovah, our God. So, we have an enemy. We have an enemy. It says in going on in our scripture in Ephesians 6, follow along in the text. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you read the scripture carefully, you'll understand and know that the flesh, the world, and the devil are all our enemies. That is who our enemy is. Our enemy is our, our flesh, our sinful nature, the world around us in all of its constructs that are constructed against the kingdom of God and the devil himself. In this particular passage, Paul focuses on the devil and his 
minions. And he describes them to us. Let me walk you through this very quickly from the scripture that we just read. First of all, they're powerful. They are described here as authorities, as principalities, as powers. All of those words speak of power. That they are powerful. Do not be ignorant, brothers and sisters. The enemy is powerful. The second thing that they are described is they are wicked. They are wicked in darkness. It says the, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil or of wickedness. They do not play by the rules of the Geneva Convention. All right? They are wicked. They are cunning. The schemes here, the wiles, the strategies of the enemy. Um, if you ever want to read a great book about this, read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest works uh, kind of describing this battle, this struggle going on. They are very cunning. They have strategies. What is the primary strategy of the enemy? Two things. One is intimidation. They will come and they will get up in your face and the enemy opposes you very aggressively and assertively. Remember Luther, the story of Luther throwing his ink, his ink well <laughs> at the enemy? I mean, it was direct opposition. The other is insinuation by temptation. By chatter in your head where he'll take and, and, and just, you know, the enemy uses all kinds of things. Read the book of Nehemiah sometime to just see the enemy uh, kind of in the flesh uh, against the people of God with intimidation and insinuation. Those are the things, the cunning of the enemy. And they're organized. Um, we won't go into all of that, but there's, a, there's an organization about it. This is not a, simply a ragtag army. This is an organized army against us. But there's something else that you need to know that's very clear from our scripture today and also throughout scripture. We need to understand that the enemy is defeatable. They are defeatable. God and Satan are not equal opposing forces, not even close. <laughs> Sometimes we exalt. See, we can, do, we can run into two ditches here. One is we can sort of ignore the work of the enemy and try to pretend that he doesn't exist and not believe that anything that he would do, any, you know, we just try to sort of close our eyes like I did when I was a kid and my brothers were tormenting me and I would climb into bed and pull the covers up over my head and if I couldn't see them, they didn't exist. Well, they do exist. The other is sort of that over-infatuation infatuation with the enemy where you're look, and, and where you somehow feel like you're in a battle against a, a force that is undefeatable because it's equally as powerful as God and that's just not true. As it says in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. There is coming a day. I've read the book and I've read the ending. We win. Satan loses. He will soon crush the enemy under his feet. They are defeatable. 
So how do we, living in the in-between place, henceforth, now, here and now, how do we live? What's our armor look like? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So here's our armor, people. You've heard many messages upon this, perhaps, but we need to remember that the purpose of this armor is for us to stand strong and stable by putting on the complete divine armor of God. You need all of the pieces of this armor, and you need them from God. They are not from you. And when you do, you will be able to stand strong and stable. Paul is putting a hand on the back of these believers in the midst of an environment of the occult and all of the things, and we think, oh, it's so wicked around us, it's so difficult around us, it isn't any more difficult than it ever has been. It is the same today as it was then, but stand with his hand upon your back and put on this armor. And here's what that armor looks like. First of all, it is the belt of truth. Sanctify them, Jesus says in John 17, 17, his final prayer on earth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We need to have the truth of God not only around us, but in us. It's the truth. When we buckle up the belt of truth, we are standing on the objective truth of the scriptures that have penetrated into the depths of our spirit and life. And it's no surprise that the belt of truth covers this area, the area of our creativity, the area of our multiplication, the area of our fruitfulness, the belt of truth. We need to walk with integrity, with sincerity, and with the objective truth of God buckled around our waist. The breastplate of righteousness. Philippians 3.9, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The breastplate of righteousness is our righteousness in Christ. If you stand in your own righteousness, the enemy will find every chink in your armor because he will remind you of every mistake that you have ever made. <laughs> Isn't that true? The enemy will get, I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's wily. He's cunning. He'll intimidate and insinuate and do all of that. If you're trying to stand in your own righteousness, God help you, and I mean that sincerely, because God does need to help you by lifting up the shield of faith and saying, wait a minute. Like, again, Martin Luther said when the enemy would come and knock on the door and say, Is Martin Luther home? He would say, Martin Luther doesn't live here anymore. Jesus lives here. All right. The shoes of peace. Love this. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, 
thus making peace. He himself is our peace. He has made the two one. He has destroyed the dividing walls of hostility. We need to put on, buckle on the shoes of our peace. As we go forth to bring people into a relationship, peace with God and peace with one another. So happy to see Kathy Ernst here this morning. We got to go out together with Revive Twin Cities a few weeks back after a training time here, and we got to experience putting on the shoes of peace and walking the streets together with Jeannie, right? With Jeannie, yeah, you were with us. We were out together sharing, breaking down barriers, the gospel of peace coming to reconcile people to Christ, to reconcile them to one another. This is the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, which we lift up against the fiery darts of the enemy. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. That's what we've been praying about today. Resist him. He's a roaring lion. And he'll try to deafen in your ears, but you lift up that shield of faith, which in those days was a large four-foot shield covered with leather, and then they would douse it in water so that when the arrows would come, they would come in and they would sizzle and extinguish in that shield of faith. Lift up that shield of faith and lift it up together on behalf of one another because we've got to have each other's backs. And we lifted up those... When those Roman legionnaires were going out into battle, they would stand in a line. You've seen the the pictures of the movies about it. And they would stand, one would be here, and the others above them. And it was impenetrable to those arrows and to those javelins that the enemy would try to send at them. That's what we do in the armor of God. And finally, we put on the helmet of salvation. The last piece of protective armor is that helmet. For since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The helmet of salvation reminds us of who we are and our destiny in Him. It is both truth for now and hope for the future. And it stands as a shield around our thoughts. It protects our minds when we know whose we are and who has us in His hand and whose helmet is upon This is so you can stand strong. And then the offensive weapon of the sword of the Spirit. Sometimes when we picture this, we picture the long sword, kind of a medieval sword. But this is a Roman, it's a two-foot dagger sword. This was in hand-to-hand combat. And we are sometimes in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. Ever felt like you've been hand-to-hand combat with the enemy? I've been there a lot. You're in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. Your offensive weapon against the enemy, which Jesus used, if you read about his temptation in the wilderness, you'll see it. 
Our sword is the sword of the Word of God. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I often think of the sword of the Spirit coming into me, dividing my thoughts, but also the sword of the Spirit goes into those thoughts and those things that are being spoken or done against us. And the Lord uses His sword of His Spirit, which in Revelation is shown as coming out of His mouth. And He comes and He deals with the enemy by his word. If you go back to the Old Testament, in Zechariah, there's a beautiful picture of, of, of Joshua, the priest, standing, and, and, and he's in filthy garments, and, and the enemy is accusing him and chattering in his head, and it says, the Lord, and it says in there, the angel of the Lord comes and says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Don't go into hand-to-hand combat with the enemy in your own strength. He doesn't care that I'm Jim Olson, but he does care that Jim Olson has Jesus and the Spirit of God in him and the Word of God in his hand. That scares him. That's what's going to defeat him. Not my words. These words. All right? So, this is that armor of God. Now, our two actions that we need to take, and then we're coming to right to the close here. So, there's two things that we get to do. Finally... Remember, we're living in this in-between time, right? Everybody remember? Two kingdoms in conflict? That's the struggle. We're to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. That's the first thing that we do. We put on the armor. We recognize who the enemy is, but we also know that he's defeatable. And then we take these two actions that will help us run to a conclusion and continue to run the race for us until it concludes at the end of our lives. What do we need to do? First of all, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. How many times does it say all in there? A whole bunch, right? All, 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 all. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. All kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We fasten, we put on We fit, we take up our armor through prayer. So this isn't another part of the armor. This is how we get the armor on us, is in prayer. Okay? So this is, let me make this really clear for us. So how do I put on this armor? I don't see it in my closet hanging up in the morning. No, what we do is we literally put it on through prayer. Prayer, as we confess our dependence on the Lord, we begin to put this armor on us and we pray in the Spirit. That means praying according to the way the Lord is praying in and through you, both, again, by His Word, the Word of the Lord, as well as in in, in understanding theologically, in my understanding, that means praying in the Spirit, praying. For me, it means praying in my prayer language, Praying in the Spirit, praying even in my unknown tongue. I, have, I pray in English, but I pray a whole lot more in the Spirit, to be honest with you. Because I know then that my Spirit is communicating with God's Spirit as He fills, and I know that I'm praying according to His purpose and His will. I pray on all kinds of occasions. Have you figured this out yet? If you haven't, and I don't know that I fully have, but the encouragement to us is pray On all occasions. Can you say all? All. Say all occasions. All occasions. Well, what does that mean? Um, 
well, in the original Greek, all occasions means all occasions. <laughs> that means all the time in every situation and circumstance you declare your dependence on the Lord. I'm not a smart enough parent to parent or grandparent. I've got to pray. I've got to ask the Lord to help me. I'm certainly not a smart enough pastor. I have to pray. In all situations, on all occasions, pray. Pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. Again, this is, you know, this is an ongoing conversation. I, you know, my wife and I don't have just one kind of communication. We have all kinds of communication. We, we talk to each other in all kinds of ways, at all kinds of occasions, for all kinds of things. Your talk with God doesn't just happen in a five-minute period in the morning or at night. It's just praying with him all kinds of prayers. Sometimes they're arrow prayers. Sometimes they're lengthy prayers. Sometimes they're seasons of prayers. Sometimes they're whatever they are. But pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. And pray with perseverance. Keep on praying. Don't give up. This is a besetting vulnerability for all of us. It certainly is for me. I pray, I pray, I pray, and then I'm like, okay, I prayed enough. I give up. We want to give in to the Lord, but we don't want to give up. Pray with perseverance. And pray for all the saints. That's what we were doing this morning. So we took more time today in worship and prayer. Why? Because we're a house of prayer for all nations. Because it's not just about us and what's going on here this morning. All right? Our brothers and sisters all over the world and our brothers and sisters right here in this house are being impacted. We've got to pray. Pray for me. Pray for each other. Pray for all the saints. Pray for Daniel and Rosie and their ministry and the work that they're doing. Pray for them. Pray for, for Ping and Helen as they determine what God's leading them next. Pray for them. You don't even know them, but you can pray for them. I just told you their names. Pray for them. Ask God. Pray for these friends who, forgive me, I've forgotten your names, but just came back from missions ministry. Pray for them as they hear. Tell me your names again, please. Eddie and Greta, yes. They've just come back from the mission field. Just coming back and re-entering. Pray for them. That's a big transition. Pray. Pray for all the saints. There's one thing you get an opportunity to in this body is you get a picture of it's a whole lot bigger than us. Finally, pray also for me, Paul says, that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You see, I love the way Paul ends here. He doesn't end in sort of a defensive posture. This armor that we're putting on and this standing that we're doing is not just defensive, it's offensive. You see, it says that we are to pray for the gospel to be proclaimed fearlessly and clearly. Because the kingdom of God continues to advance. As it says in Colossians 2, 4-6, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For, that's not the one I want. All right, sorry, my mistake. Colossians chapter 4, maybe, let me see. I want to finish this well. Yes, Colossians 4, 
2 to 6, not 2, 4 to 6. Colossians 4, 2 to 6. Now you actually have to read your Bible. All right. Colossians 4, 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Making the most of every opportunity. The call of the Lord for us as a congregation is to continue to press out. That's why we have reach reports every week, why God has brought into us all, I mean, all month long, not all month, all summer long, has been missional missionaries, folks doing. Next week, Stephanie Fisk and her new husband are going to be here as well. Martin, so excited about that. They're ministering and serving in Spain. Dave Ogren and his ministry all over the world. We have this opportunity to continue to extend and see whether it's at Sturgis Bike Rally or our youth up on the Native American Reservation this week, we are constantly asking God to give us the grace to make most of every opportunity in Him. Worship team, come on up as we close. We're going to sing a great hymn of the faith, one of my favorites, a Martin Luther hymn, which is directly from, you know, out of the context of this passage. And so I want to encourage you to hear the words, don't just sing through them without thinking. Sing through them and listen to them. Hear them this morning. A mighty fortress is our God. And as we prepare to go out this morning, and if we could all stay present until we've sung this hymn together, then I would love to pray for us and commission us to go forth. As we've come to the end of our study of Ephesians, the word of the Lord is, go forth, be strong in Him, put on that armor, Pray and go forth and let's see the enemy defeated before us as we go in him. Let's stand together. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark who never, ever. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask one of our young evangelists who's uh, reaching out to Hispanic folks up in Northeast. Yvonne's going to pray. A blessing. Then I'm going to do the benediction. So, Hallelujah. Señor Jesucristo, te doy gracias en este día, Padre Celestial, uh, por la oportunidad que tú nos has brindado, Padre Celestial, con tu misericordia que es nueva cada día, Padre Santo, por tu amor infinito que nos tienes, Padre Celestial. Eh, abre nuestros corazones, nuestras mentes, nuestros oídos espirituales, Padre Celestial, para poder guardar tu palabra, Señor, como dice Proverbios, Padre Santo, que ahí están escritas en la tabla de nuestro corazón, Padre Celestial. Uh, abre la, la, los corazones y las mentes de los hermanos que están aquí reunidos, Señor, y que han venido a darte la gloria y la honra a ti, Padre Celestial, como tú te mereces, Padre Santo. Gracias, Padre, por la oportunidad que nos das, Padre Celestial. Bendice, Señor, a cada uno de los hermanos que han venido hoy aquí, Señor, que puedan ir en tu, en tu protección y en tu cuidado, Padre Celestial, y que podamos ser luz afuera en las tinieblas, Padre Celestial. Que, y donde quiera que vayamos, Señor, seamos tu luz, Señor amado podamos brillar con tu luz, Padre Celestial. Nos ponemos en tus manos en este día, Dios. Bendícenos, Padre Celestial. En el nombre de Jesús. Amén. Amén. Now if you just open your hands to receive the benediction.
And now I pray that this very day you would be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life for his glory and his praise. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go in the grace of the Lord. Come and join us Saturday for the picnic. If you want to be baptized, let us know. If you want to come to Christ, come and let us know. We'll talk to you all about that and bring you into the kingdom. Hallelujah.